Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn once again to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, as we read the verses 1 through 8. Let us hear the word of God. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked. And behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked. And behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless and also apply the reading and preaching of his Holy Word to our hearts. Dear friends, what is God's plan for mankind during the period between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ? Well, we have a partial answer to that question in the verses that we have just read together, Revelation 6, the verses 1 through 8. John was in the throne room of heaven, and while he was there, he saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. And this scroll was written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now you may remember from our last study that this scroll represents all of human history from the ascension of Jesus Christ to his second coming. And as such, this scroll had to be opened. If it was not opened, then God's plan for humankind would come to a screeching halt. The gospel would not be preached Christ's kingdom would not spread throughout the world, and he would not return as judge to judge the living and the dead. Sadly, however, no one in heaven or on earth or even under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it, and that caused John to weep. And as John stood there weeping, one of the elders came to him and said there was no need to weep, for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, had prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And at that moment, John looked, 
And in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And at that time all of heaven erupted in a chorus of praise and thanksgiving to God and to the Lamb. Well, after taking the scroll, we read that the Lamb proceeded to loose its seven seals. And these seven seals represent the judgments that would be unleashed on the earth between the first and the second comings of Christ. Now, the first four of these seals unleash the so-called four horses of the apocalypse, described in verses 1 through 8. We can read of similar horsemen in the book of Zechariah, chapter 1 and verse 8. There are four of them because there are four cardinal directions. There's north, south, east, and west. And the point is, there's no area of the earth that these horses and their riders do not cover. There's no boundary they cannot cross. There's no ground they do not ride over. Their impact will be felt over the entire world. But as we'll also see, these four horsemen under the sovereign control of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that means that we who are in him have no reason to fear. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider these four horsemen under the theme, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we'll consider, first of all, the havoc they wreak, and secondly, the commander they obey. John is still in the throne room of heaven. And he watched as the Lamb of God took the scroll out of the hand of him that sat on the throne, and he proceeded to loosen its first seal. And as he did so, John hears a voice. It was the voice of the four living creatures that stand at the throne of God. And with a voice like thunder, the creature said to John, Come and see. And John obeyed. What did he see? But he tells us in verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now some have argued that this white horse and its rider represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And they base that on the fact that, first of all, he rides on a white horse, and white is a symbol of purity and holiness. Secondly, he is said to conquer, and conquering is certainly part of the kingly function of Jesus Christ in his exalted state. Thirdly, in chapter 19 of this book, verses 11 to 16, reference is made to another rider on a white horse, and that rider is clearly Christ. But there are two problems with this view. First of all, just because the rider on a white horse is Christ in chapter 19 does not mean that the rider on the white horse in chapter 6 is Christ. It's not uncommon in Scripture for one symbol to function in several different ways. For example, the lion can be the symbol of Christ, who is described in Revelation as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it can also be a symbol of the devil. For Peter says that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the only way we can know this is by carefully considering the context. Secondly, the other three horses that are mentioned here all have to do with judgment. The red horse represents slaughter and bloodshed. The black horse 
represents economic upheaval, and the pale horse represents death. Now, if these three horses all have to do with judgment, then it's likely that the first horse also has to do with judgment. What is more, although the color white in the Bible often represents purity and holiness, it can also represent victory. In fact, Roman conquerors often rode white horses in their triumphal parades after defeating an enemy in battle. And so it's doubtful then that this first horse represents Christ. Well, if that's the case, what does it represent? Well, it represents military conquest. And that's confirmed by the fact that the rider of this horse is said to have had a bow in his hand and a crown on his head, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And so what John seems to be saying is that throughout the period between the ascension and the second coming of Christ, there will be periods of conquest, including plundering and pillaging and destruction and death. And is that not true? How many great empires have come and gone since the beginning of time, including the period after the ascension of Christ? First, there was the Assyrian Empire. It was replaced by the Babylonian Empire, which in turn was replaced by the Persian Empire, which in turn was replaced by the Greek Empire, which in turn was replaced by the Roman Empire, which in turn was dismantled by the Germanic tribes in the northern part of Europe and in the west by the Muslim Turks, the east and the south. Later we had the French Empire under Napoleon. There was the British Empire. There was the Third Reich centered in Germany and the Soviet Empire, all of which have come and gone. And what's next, we wonder? What will be the next great empire in the world? Will it be China? Or will it be a future one-world government? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is what the Bible says, that this period between the ascension and second coming of Christ will be characterized by military conquest. One empire will rise, and another will fall, and another will rise again, and so it will continue until the end of time. Well, after loosing the first seal, the lamb proceeded to loosen the second seal. This time, John saw a red horse. He writes in verse 4, Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Well, this horse and this rider represent slaughter. And that explains why the horse is red, because red is the color of blood. Now, two kinds of slaughter are probably in view here. First, there is the slaughter that comes from war, both civil war and wars between nations. The history of the world since the coming of Christ and even before the coming of Christ is characterized by almost continual warfare. I read somewhere that in the 2,000 years since the ascension of Christ, there has been a major war every century except for two. And each war has resulted in horrendous bloodshed and destruction. Just consider the wars that have taken place in the Western world over the past 150 years. There was the Civil War in the United States, resulting in 620,000 deaths. Then there was World War I, resulting in 40 million deaths. World War II resulted in 50 to 85 million deaths. And that's close to 100 million dead in only 150 years. 
History is littered with the corpses of people killed as a result of war. And in addition to war, there is the slaughter as a result of persecution, specifically the persecution of the church. Our Lord told us that we would face such persecution. In Matthew 10, verses 34 to 36, Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul writes this, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now why is that? Because from the time of the fall to the present day, the world is at enmity with Christ and his church. The world hates Christ and his church and will stop at nothing to destroy them both. And one weapon that the world uses very effectively is persecution. Now, to be sure, not all Christians will experience persecution the same way. Some, for example, here in the West, experience a non-bloody persecution. For example, we might suffer ridicule or we may lose our job because we refuse to work on Sundays. But many other Christians are imprisoned and even put to death. In fact, throughout the centuries, tens of thousands of Christians have been put to death for their faith. Also during the time that John was writing this very book. You can think of Stephen and the apostles. You can think of the Christians who were thrown to the lions and burned at the stake under Nero and Diocletian. We can think of the Protestant martyrs who were executed during the reign of Bloody Mary in England. Or we can think of Christians today who are put to death in communist China and Muslim countries, and it will never stop. The red horse of slaughter will continue to slay its millions until the end of time. Well, after loosing the second seal, the lamb proceeded to loosen the third seal. And now John sees a black horse. And he writes in verses 5 and 6, So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales on his hand. As John beheld this black horse and its rider, a voice sounded from the midst of the four living creatures, and the voice said, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now a quart of wheat, which was just enough to keep a man alive, cost a whole denarius, which was a day's wages for a common laborer. And for the same amount of money, you could buy three quarts of barley. Now barley was normally not fit for human consumption. That's why it was normally fed to animals. But at least it would fill your stomach and it would keep you alive. Now what we have here is a picture of famine exacerbated by rampant inflation. Today, inflation is just around 3% or so, and that's down from about 7% last fall. And even that percentage hurts. You notice it every time you go to the grocery store. But what is being described here in our text is far more serious than this. By some estimates, the rate of inflation described here is anywhere from 800 to 1,600%. And as a result of this, the average worker could not afford to feed his family, let alone provide for all their other needs, like shelter and clothing and so on. They would be reduced to abject poverty and even starvation. Ironically, however, the price of oil and wine, representing luxury goods, remained about the same. And we know that because the same voice that called out 
the prices of wheat and barley, also said, do not harm the oil and the wine. Oil and wine, oddly enough, are in plentiful supply. But they're utterly beyond the reach of the average worker who barely manages to scrape enough money together to feed his family barley. And so it's clear from this that the black horse and its rider represent economic forces that lead to inflation, poverty, inequality, and even starvation. Now, people have always suffered economic deprivation. Just think of the Great Depression of the 1930s. And Christians are no exception to this. In fact, as we learned when we studied the seven letters to the churches of Asia, during the very time that John was writing this letter, Christians were being economically penalized for refusing to join trade guilds that worshipped one or more of the Roman gods. And later, in chapter 13, verse 17, We will read of how those who did not have the mark of the beast, referring to believers, would not be able to buy or sell. In other words, they would be economically penalized for not joining in the idolatry of the people around them. And the situation is not that much different today. Christian businesses also today are being forced to meet so-called diversity, inclusion, and equity standards or else be penalized or shut out of bidding on lucrative government contracts. Individual Christians are being bypassed for promotion or even fired because they refuse to work on the Lord's Day or they hold to views that the company does not consider to be acceptable. And one wonders how long it will be before such practices become commonplace and even mandated by law. Will it be in our lifetime? Well, based on how things are going, that's certainly very possible. If the government was prepared to forbid Christians from worshiping during COVID, they will stop at nothing to enforce its will and values on the population, including Christians. Well, finally, the lamb loosened the fourth seal. And as he did, John saw a fourth horse. Now, this horse was pale. The Greek word that's used here is chloros, from which we get the English words chlorophyll and chlorine. And that suggests that this horse was more of a sickly, gruesome, greenish color. And its rider was called death. Hades, the Greek word for the abode of the dead, is said to follow close behind him. And the idea seems to be that this horse represents not just death, but death as a result of disease and plague. And we further read that power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This list of deadly woes echoes a similar list in Ezekiel 14, verses 12 to 23. Their God threatens to punish his people, the people of Israel, with the same calamities if they do not repent of their idolatry. But in this case, here in our text, there's a limit to this. Only a fourth of the earth will be affected. Now, there have been many such plagues throughout history. And each of them has resulted in terrible losses of life. During the Middle Ages, for example, there was the so-called Black Death that raged in Europe. 
from 1347 to 1352 that resulted in the death of an estimated 25 million people. That's over a quarter of the population at that time. During the last century, there was the influenza pandemic of 1918, which killed approximately 50 million people worldwide. And most recently, there was the COVID-19 pandemic, which killed almost 7 million people worldwide, although most of these people also suffered from comorbidities. The point is, there have been many plagues and pandemics throughout history. And there will continue to be such plagues and pandemics until the end of time. We don't know when the next one will be. It could be very soon. And perhaps some of them will be even worse than anything we've experienced to date. And so we see that the period between the first and the second comings of Christ looks very, very bleak. It will be characterized by conquest, death, economic upheaval, and disease and plague. Well, when you think about that, I wonder, does that frighten you at all? Well, it shouldn't if you're in Christ. For we next will learn that the reins of these horses and their riders is held by our exalted king. And that brings us to our second point. The four horsemen of the apocalypse and their horses have brought and still bring terrible judgments on the earth. How many people over the centuries have not suffered and died as a result of their sorties into the world? Certainly more than we can ever count. And they will continue their sorties until the end of time. In fact, there's a reason to believe that they will make more and more of these sorties as the end approaches. But as I've already mentioned, we don't have to be afraid. That's because all four of these horsemen are commanded by and under the control of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember that the vision of the four horsemen comes after the vision of the throne room of heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And there we learn that God is seated on his throne together with the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. What is more, the scroll on which is written the history of the world and God's plan of redemption was taken by the Lamb out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. He alone was found worthy to loosen its seals. And that means he has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, as he himself said. Nothing can happen apart from his divine will. And everything that does happen, including his judgments, serves to propel history forward, culminating in his glorious second coming. Now this is also true of these four horsemen. The four horsemen in our text do not come and go as they please. They are called and they are sent by Christ. And that's clear from the very wording of the text. You'll notice that the first horseman was given a crown. To the second horseman was granted to take peace from the earth. And it says there that, that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. The voice that sounded from the appearance of the third horseman originated in the midst of the four living creatures. And to the fourth horseman was given power over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and so on. And not only over the whole earth, but only over a fourth of it. Now, is that not comforting? You see how the Lord Jesus Christ, as our great and exalted king, is restraining these horses and these horsemen. They can only go so far. They can only do his bidding. Yes, they're terrifying, 
and they unleash terrible judgments on the earth, but they cannot do as they please. They take their orders from him who holds the scroll. And that means we don't have to be afraid. No matter what judgments have come and will come on the earth before our Lord's second coming, Christ will preserve his people. Yes, they'll have to suffer along with the rest of the world. There's no scriptural evidence for the view that believers will be raptured from the earth before the final judgment but they will not all be utterly destroyed. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. There will be faith on the earth when the Son of Man comes again in his glory. And what is more, he will use these woes, these judgments as instruments for the sanctification of his church and of his people and the extension of his kingdom. And ultimately, he will bring every one of his people into glory. Because of this, we can say with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Today the creation groans and we groan with it, but the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And what is more, we have the assurance, as Paul also says, that all things will work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And when the time comes that we are made to suffer for his sake, we may rest in the knowledge that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. For in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And therefore we are persuaded, as Paul also says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, my friend, is that your confession today? The four horsemen are galloping their way through history. You can hear their hoofbeats even today. Are you ready for them? There's only one way we can be ready, and that is by repenting of our sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, have you done so? Those who have not will suffer far greater judgments than those recorded in our text. For they shall be cast into hell where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and there they will remain for an everlasting eternity. But still the Lord invites. The gates of heaven are still open and still the Lord declares that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they repent and believe on his name. And if you've never done that, I urge you, do it today. For the time is short. Every day, brings us closer to the end. Therefore, get ready before it is too late. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time today to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. 
or you can email us at bannerofTruth at frcna.org. And please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope it will be a rich blessing to you and your loved ones. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.